this is Niels Hobbs from Lovecraft Arts and Sciences Council in Providence. I'm here with Legends of Tabletop to talk about Necronomicon and all, sor all sorts of things weird related to gaming, etc. Welcome, everybody. We got a little bit of a late start for those who are tuning in live. Uh, we apologize for that. We had some uh, technical difficulties that we had to uh, take care of, but thank you for coming on, sir. We didn't get the, a chance to catch up really at Necronomicon proper, so we're glad that we can uh, get you on and kind of talk post-con. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. You're welcome. Cool, cool. So, uh, you know, coming into Necronomicon this year, you, you know, we, we don't normally think of, of conventions as, you know, being some hotbed of controversy. But, uh, you know, the last two years, we, we've had a little bit of a, a kerfuffle, you could say, a little bit of a dust up, you know, pre and or during yeah. con. So do you, do you want to address those things a little bit? I feel like we should, you know, we should probably bring it up and you know, we don't have to get super in depth. But, you know, if you want to just, you know, sort of touch on that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get into too much of the nitty gritty just because, uh, you know, I, I hope that everyone who was at Necronomicon really kind of walked away feeling like it was a really great positive event. So I don't want to, you know, get into too much of the politics or things, but obviously, you know, when we do a convention that's kind of built around uh, a, a really remarkable complex character like Lovecraft was, um, there are obviously, you know, sort of increasingly sort of more complex issues that are raised. Uh, and, you know, this year there was a little bit of unfortunate politics that, you know, from our side really wasn't necessary at all. Um, and basically sort of boiled down to kind of people wanting to make factions where really there don't need to be factions. Um, and, and we really strongly strive to be a very inclusive community for the Lovecraftian and weird fiction community. Um, whether it's, you know, focusing on, on the literature, the fiction, or the gaming, or whatever, we really want to have Providence be a home for everybody. Um, you know, as long as they're willing to get along with everybody else, uh, that's really kind of our one requirement. Um, and, you know, sadly, not everybody wants to abide by that. Um, so it, it caused us a little bit of issues, but you know, most of that was gone by the time the convention came along. And so uh, we're all really pretty happy with how the convention itself came out. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. I, I missed 13. Vincent had invited me to go uh, in 2013, and uh, it just didn't work out. So 15 was my first year. It was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, <laughs> but it, it, it's great. I mean, it's it, it is it's a super community, right? I mean, that's the thing. Like, you go to to Gen Con, like you see people that you know, but it, it's a huge mega event. You know, you go to Necronomicon, and it's you know you're it's like you're reconnecting with friends. You know, you see certain people year after year. Um, you, know, you have people coming from all over the world. There's people from Canada, people from Italy. You've got people from the UK. Um, so it, it's a, a small, intimate setting, but, it, you know, a larger, you know, it's pulling from a larger, um, uh, diverse crowd, uh, which is really cool. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, I mean, we've always kind of wanted for Necronomicon to be a very multifaceted event. So, 
you know, uh, gamers can go, people that are interested in weird fiction, people that are interested in weird art, people that are interested in, you know, sort of unusual film can go and find almost a complete convention that they can immerse themselves in, but then hopefully they'll also cross over and enjoy other aspects as well. Um, and so, you know, we, we I, I'm proud to say that we offer almost as much for any one single of those components as you might find at kind of a medium sized convention for just focusing on one specific aspect. Um, and the nice thing is because of that, yeah, we have, so in 2015, and we haven't finished counting up for this past year for 2015, we had 18 different countries represented, five wow. continents, uh, and that's remarkable. So, you know, like, for example, for gaming, Chaosium put a huge emphasis on coming and joining us rather than going to Gen Con, even though it was the same weekend, which was right. probably the biggest endorsement you could have, um, especially since those guys are amazing. But mm -hmm. yeah. it, it did suck that it was the same weekend because yeah. I know we did we did lose some yeah. of the you know some of the gaming guys. You know, Adam Scott Clancy didn't make yeah. it, and Ken Height didn't make it. So it was it yeah. was kind of like oh, really, but. Yeah, we were a little surprised because usually Gen Con is like at the very beginning of August or kind of the middle. And sometimes it actually benefits us. People kind of make a big grand tour of doing Gen Con and then swing over to us. Um, that was to our benefit the last couple of times. But this year, it like was awful, especially with the 50th anniversary of Gen Con. Yeah. Like, oh, you kidding me? But <laughs> So the nice thing is at least we already know uh, for 2019 uh, thanks to you guys that uh, Gen Con is I think again at the very beginning of so yeah, it's like the first through the third or something like that mm -hmm. so that's kind of perfect um, and and so we're already pretty much set on what the date is going to be for next year it's probably going to be the pretty much the last full weekend in August so the weekend right after Lovecraft's birthday oh, that's pretty that also clears us with a couple other conflicts with like Worldcon, which is a really was has been a really big conflict for us in the past as well. Um, it's you know it's difficult as you guys certainly know. Like literally any weekend you pick on a calendar is going to conflict with seventeen different smaller gaming conventions or whatever or literary you know book reading fairs. Yeah. Or so we really can't win, but the you know we we we're trying to like stake stake out that sort of general corner of the calendar. Yeah. Had you considered, uh, well, so I, I guess the first Necronomicon was in uh, 1993. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So the very first one that, you know, um, was done by a bunch of intrepid souls that, you know, paid the price and having their sanity sucked from the souls. <laughs> uh, and they did five of them in a row, very much kind of the same general idea as what we've done, you know, doing it every other year um, to, you know, be able to kind of keep it fresh and special. Um, and focusing on various aspects of, of Lovecraftian and weird fiction and gaming and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, so they did from 93 to 2001 was the last one. Um, mm -hmm. Just, you know, essentially just got wiped out, basically, which yeah. was understandable. But, yeah. And then, and then you guys took it over in, in 2013, relaunched, revamped, uh, back and better than ever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, with kind of our own view, like uh, we had some people that had been involved in the previous ones come on board to help us out. Um, but a lot of it was our own vision slash our own naive outlook on how things like this could be done uh, for better or worse. Um, fortunately, we had a lot of really good people that could help us out, you know, who had a lot of good advice to give some experience. I have, I have a lot, some convention experience or conference experience, but it's more science conference stuff. 
So that kind of formulated some of the core of the convention, but then the rest of it was sort of, all right, what can, what cool crazy thing can we come up with to do? (laughs) Uh, We often chew off or bite off more than we can chew, um, but somehow manage to kind of pull it off. Better to have more than less. So always move forward. Uh, What's the, what's Providence's reaction been to, uh, to Lovecraft and the con? So uh, generally, it's been incredibly positive. Um, we've gotten nothing, and, and you know that's one of the advantages I think, for one reason or another, that we had over the previous ones. Is previously Lovecraft was kind of just a, you know, a non-entity locally. Like the city just didn't really seem to care. Um, but for one reason or another, the city has really come around to realize that Lovecraft is really this substantial cultural resource. Um, and so for us in 2013 the city really kind of bent over backwards to help us out in a lot of important ways. Uh, and they've continued to do so. Um, so like for, for example, right now we're ramping up to the final phase of fundraising for a statue project, a Lovecraft um, bronze statue. Um, and the city has been um, integral to really kind of making that happen and, and making it, you know, helping us get through the various bureaucratic hoops and such. So mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the city realizes it. like the city, you know, honestly, like literally every day people come to Providence specifically from, from all around the world looking for Lovecraft. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, even though, you know, they, they identify that, you know, there, there's definitely some problematic issues related to Lovecraft, you know, specifically to his racism um, that, that they're, you know, dealing with and, and, you know, are confronted with a little bit. They also do realize that there is this substantial kind of larger cultural um, value to Lovecraft as well. Sure. And, and Providence is a cool old city too. You have all that old architecture and you know, the graveyards and everything. You've got the, the, the abandoned church up there with the little graveyard where, where, you know, he used to hang out. So it's just cool to be, you know, kind of puts you in the footsteps of, you know, head up to the Athenaeum and, and the, the Florida lay house. I'm like, Oh, it's just really cool. It's cool to soak all that in. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we started thinking about doing it before 2013 was like, my God, what a amazing th- event we could do here in Providence. We, we, you know, I mean, I don't want to disparage too much, you know, some of the other events that have been done around the world. But for example, like, you know, kind of the last straw for some of us was like, oh my God, there's a Lovecraft convention in Arizona. Like, why is it happening in Arizona? It's not happening here in Providence. Uh, so we were like, wait, Providence is a cool city. We have hotels. We have convention halls. Um, let's do something fun like that here. So that's kind of the big inspiration that kind of pulled us around to trying to revitalize the old Necronomicon. Yeah. Not only that, I mean, it's it, as a destination for Lovecraft, you're, you're, you're walking the streets where he was, and you're, in, you're, you're part of, almost part of the story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, and that's, that's the great thing. And that's what I think brings people from around the world is you can come to Providence and so much of Lovecraft's Providence still exists. You know, you can walk by of, of the four houses that he lived in, three of them are still, you know, standing uh, and look essentially like how they looked when he was here. Um, and you can walk by most of the houses that he describes in his stories or that are like, you know, almost like characters unto themselves and his stories are still here, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. But so that's an unusual uh, resource that we have that, that people appreciate. 
Right. Keeper Chad from the Miskatonic University podcast was at that Arizona convention, the last one that they did. <laughs> we were talking about it at Necronomicon. <laughs> yeah, 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 cool. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I don't, especially um, um, Adam Niswander, who did that, I mean, really put his heart into it. So I don't, I don't mean to disparage that or um, like Anders Lundgren in, in Stockholm, who does a really, he's actually in the process of rekindling his Lovecraft themed, uh, Lovecraft focused event in Stockholm. Um, I mean, those are all amazing things and I think are really important, you know, and obviously the, the Lovecraft Film Festival uh, in Portland. Uh, I mean, those are measures of how important Lovecraft is globally, um, but it just seemed, it seemed to us a huge shame that that wasn't happening here in Providence as well. Oh yeah, for, for sure. I mean, it makes sense for you guys to be doing it there. Uh, and, and Necro, I mean, it's a cross between like a popular con, like so you have the gaming, you know, yeah. and a lot of that stuff, but, and, and also like an academic conference all rolled into one. You have not only like the popular panels, but then like this year, and I don't remember in 15, but you had the academic panels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so very like, I guess, you know, sort of as a callback to your background at the you know scientific conference sort of thing and and it's interesting because it gives you such a wide array of activities and things to be a part of and be able to just pick up so many little bits and pieces and and not all necessarily about lovecraft but you know other aspects of of weird fiction and and other authors and gothic horror and and horror too i mean necronomicon is is a weird fiction con it's a it's a lovecraft con but also you know the authors and stuff that are there there's a lot of horror mixed in as well not just cosmic horror but horror horror yeah, and, and sci-fi and fantasy and, you know, kind of that nexus where those three combine to kind of make weird fiction, if you will. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. We always we want Necronomicon to be something that will appeal to, ex, you know, anybody that comes, you know, no matter what their interest is, in, you know, whether it's primarily gaming or primarily art or primary, primarily, you know, contemporary authors or Lovecraft. Um, and we, in 2015, because it was the 125th anniversary of Lovecraft, I think something like 85 or 90% of our core programming was Lovecraft, specifically Lovecraft related. Um, this past year, it was something more like 40 or 50%, mostly because like at some point you can't keep doing the same panel on at the mountains of madness, you know, like you, you have to branch out and we think it's a, a good testament to Lovecraft to say, all right, let's talk about the authors, the contemporary authors or the other authors that he was inspired by, or he directly inspired um, what do they have to say? What do they contribute? And even if it's not a direct lineage, you know, from Lovecraft, it's still valuable and is a kind of a testament to the greater genre that he's kind of the, the godfather of, you know. Right. He, he's your, he's like the gateway drug for, for weird yeah. fiction. Yeah. Well, I mean, so it's funny. Like, so, you know, we have a bookstore in downtown Providence um, that uh, is kind of also like a visitor center for people. And, and we often have people come in who are like, all right, I read all the Lovecraft. What do I need to do next? You know, we're like, yeah. So here's, you know, Lovecraft is the gateway, you know, now all right, here's some Clark Ashton Smith or some Ambrose Bierce or whatever. Um, and then, or, or here's some Jeff Vandermeer or Caitlin Kiernan or something like that, you know, and, um, and Lovecraft is very valuable. Or people will be like, I love Lovecraft. Who writes like Lovecraft? I'm like, okay, well, here's mythology <laughs> X, Y, and Z. Uh, or, you know, I love Lovecraft, but I want to read something completely different. I'm like, all right, here's Laird Barron or something, you know? So it's, it's uh, Lovecraft makes a great starting point to really explore a remarkable genre, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I 
when when did you discover Lovecraft and, and what sort of obviously it's had a huge impression on you, but yeah. but at the time, what sort of impression did it have on you? You know, so I, I probably read Lovecraft somewhere in some anthology, you know, with, you know, that I picked up because it had a Poe story in it or something like that. And, and I it, Lovecraft didn't. So I'll, you guys will appreciate this. Um, Lovecraft didn't really start sinking in for me until I actually started playing Call of Cthulhu. Uh, I know that's, that's a really sort of classic, almost cliche story. Uh, but I was like, wow, here's this amazing game where it's not about just becoming bigger and bigger and beefier and beefier. It's about actually getting more and more decrepit and, you know, like broken down and, and insane. And it just sort of appealed to me way more uh, than like D&D or something like that. And I, you know, had remembered reading some Lovecraft and immediately I was like, oh God, I got to you know, read more of this. And a friend of mine gave me some beat up Del Rey and I like devoured that. And, um, and the thing for me that appealed to me uh, very quickly was how I was a big kind of fan of history and, and science and biology is how much he infuses those things into his story. So mm-hmm. he immediately kind of appealed to me in, in that kind of sort of deep meta nerd way. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then coupling that with uh, playing Call of Cthulhu was, was uh, you know, what sucked me in pretty good. Um, you know, and I was like, like when you see Hollywood horror movies, you know, so often you'd see monsters where it's clearly a dude in a suit, you know, like it's some bipedal monster. <laughs> That's not horrifying because I spent enough time at the beach. I know that the ocean is full of way more interesting, bizarre, horrifying things than that. And Lovecraft would kind of write about those things. So for me, it was a, a good, quick, easy sell, essentially, you know. But, All right, well, that's cool. It, it, it's yeah. interesting because there's, you know, in the gaming aspect, because there's some people who are just completely Cthulhu and like that style of game and then just D&D. And sometimes it's funny, there's just no cross there. There's there's no cross-pollination. Like I, I'll play anything, I don't care. But, but it's interesting that, that people that start with Call of Cthulhu generally sort of stick with Call of Cthulhu. It's just, it's a weird, you know, gamer dynamic, I guess. I, I don't know. I like, I mean, I like a lot. I mean, unfortunately, I have rarely have time to play very many games. Um, but when I do, I, I very quickly find myself going back to Call of Cthulhu. For one thing, mostly because it's an easy, me- you know, mecha- mechanically, like it's super easy to pick up. Like I, I actually hadn't played Call of Cthulhu in like 10 years. I mostly just run games for it and hadn't played it in years. And a local gaming convention, TempleCon, um, I like finally was like, you know what, I want to run a game. And so I ran a game. I hadn't played it in 10 years and it was a blast. And I had ended up having like 12 players shoved into this little room who all were like, Oh my God, that was amazing. And, and it was so fun. Like, just cause it is, there's a lot more room for storytelling, you know, like there's not, you, you can very quickly just kind of play the game and have fun with it rather than having to like refer to, you know, chart 427 uh, slash G or whatever, you know, um, that being said, I, I like plenty of other games. I just sadly don't ever have time to, to learn them too much. Um, yeah. Donovan Laux, who's, who's a local, he's, he's sort of the Lovecraftian geographer, bar none. He's the guy that uh, organizes the walking tours for Necronomicon um, and does our maps and stuff. He is a massive board gamer. Uh, his basement is, has the most <laughs> collection of board games it's I've ever seen. Clock. And he... Uh, he recently wrote me in to uh, come and play a couple of games that I'd never played before. Um, um, oh my God, I'm completely blanking on that. Lovecraft, uh, a couple of Lovecraft like card games and a board game that I'd never even heard of before. And they were so much fun. Like I, it was so awesome to just kind of relax and do that. 
Oh yeah. So, but yeah, so anyway, so that's kind of how I got into Lovecraft in general is sort of twofold liking the game and then also appreciating the literature for how a different approach to storytelling he has. Yeah, that's a good genesis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm curious. Lovecraft has definitely increased in popularization over the years, um, particularly the last decade or so. Yeah. You think that the, this push towards commercializing him, you know, the plushies, the toys, the t-shirts, all that, all that stuff. Do you think it's blunted the, like the, the nihilism of his fiction? <laughs> I mean, it, it absolutely has. Uh, you know, I mean, we come in, we have people come into the store who are like, oh, where are the plushies? Or, oh my God, I love Cthulhu. He's so cute. I'm like, that's just not, that's not. Yeah, it's it's, it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I like, uh, as a, as a conventional organizer, I, I, you know, and also like going to other kinds of cons, like where there's like cosplay and stuff. I've actually come around to a, a great appreciation for any, if, if you can co-opt whatever the con is or the, the theme is or the field and kind of make it your own in whatever way you like that, mm -hmm. I think is a win. Um, okay. but I think, I, I think fundamentally there is sort of something just bizarre about making Cthulhu. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. Like whenever I see a bumper sticker that says "I heart zombies," I'm just like, "What?" Yeah, yeah. That doesn't, that's not, <laughs> exactly. You don't understand. Like that's not right. Like, yeah. but but yeah. I mean, it, it's it's funny. You know, the thing is, of course, I kind of bet Lovecraft would totally love it. You know, I he bet probably, he, would. he probably would. Yeah, he'd get he'd get a, he'd probably get like this like uh, very subtle and like private pleasure over it. He would. I think yeah. I think you would. I think you would. I mean, he, you know, whatever you can say about Lovecraft, like in his letters, it's very clear that he has a kind of a self-deprecating sense of humor. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm sure he'd kind of get a kick out of. I mean, the plushies might be a little too far. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's. I think that draws. That's crossing the line. Just a little. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> I, I think Cody Goodfellow moderated a, a panel that that this was the topic, you know, how, how is this popularization, you know, sort of affected the mythos and, you know, mm -hmm. can you, can you write stories now that are, you know, as horrifying as, as they were before this, you know, popularization and stuff. It was an interesting panel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think at this point Cthulhu has played out, like there's just nothing you can do where it, he's going to be anything, but you know, the first thought now is a me, you know, like when I think of Cthulhu, I think of, a, oh, yeah. you know, uh, Cthulhu in power armor, you know, because you pissed off the GM. <laughs> that's that's like kind of what I think of now. But it does raise the bar. Like if you want to be scary, if you want to have that kind of impact, you definitely have to start creating your own weird. Yeah, you know, it sort of pushes you to excel a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I mean, it it seems like you know I've heard it thrown around before, but that we're you know sort of in the midst of a of a weird renaissance now, you know, and and I think I feel like at least from my perspective that you, that you have to be at least partially responsible for that for you know having the convention there and having you know so many people together, different authors together. I mean, projects are spawned at Necronomicon, uh, games and 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 books and, and RPG things. So I mean, it's just a, a wonderful way for people to to come together and just really connect and and you know get a chance to you know be like oh you know um 
uh, I don't like like Derek Husey. Um, you know, we've had him on the show, and I, I didn't know him before, and he was at Necronomicon this year. And I'm like, hey, you know, Leah had you on the show. Like, I, it's great to meet you. How's it going? Blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it's just a really cool way to, to, you know, really connect with people in the community and be like, hey, I'm not the only one. Like, it is kind of a niche thing. But right. when you, you look around, there's, you know, 1,500, 2,000 people walking around that are all, like, super into the same thing. And they're that's just the people that showed up. You know, it, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And honestly, that's one of the things that um, makes some of the massive headaches associated with it worthwhile is we see so many people that come here who make connections with people who maybe they've been friends with online or maybe they've never even met before at all, uh, and amazing things come out of it. So many anthologies, uh, so many friendships that have led to you know new publishing efforts, um, some, like you guys said, some games that have come out of it. And that's amazing. I mean, that is like the most rewarding thing to come out of all this. We've even had like scientific research kind of being born, born out of it. And like, um, Fred Lubnow, who is, uh, who does a Lovecraftian science blog, um, started a journal of Lovecraftian science, um, as well as a blog page for it, um, from, his experiences of the 2013 Necronomicon. And that's for me, especially that's like super, you know, that's all the various things in my life coming together, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. I think I actually follow that blog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's awesome. He does such a good job with it. You know? Yeah. Um, so organizing a convention is, you know, a Herculean task. I mean, you said the other guys did, you know, the other group did it for a number of years and just sort of burned out. Um, yeah. Does the controversial nature of Lovecraft present any particular difficulties on top of, you know, organizing this mammoth project? Yeah, absolutely does. Uh, you know, especially for 2013, like we were pretty naive to it and just, you know, I think honestly it, it wasn't nearly the um, uh, issue that it has become. Um, I think that, um, 2015, it really kind of took off a little bit more for, you know, one reason or another. This year, especially with so much of the politics that are happening in the country, you know, and, and the world, uh, it, Lovecraft's politics, uh, you know, at least this one aspect of Lovecraft, um, you know, his, his, his xenophobia and his racism, um, you know, really proved pro pretty problematic in, in some ways and, and definitely kind of made it a little bit difficult for some of us. I mean, the majority... Uh, you know, we, we try to keep Necronomicon extremely apolitical, and that's really kind of an important thing, just or not, you know, simply non-political. But, you know, the majority of the organizers are, you know, essentially left of center, if not extremely left of center. And for us, uh, you know, um, especially in, in the political era that we find ourselves in, um, to be essentially highlighting somebody, even if we're focusing on the literature, um, highlighting somebody who is, uh, uh, you know, this xenophobe. And, and even though I personally believe that um, he, you know, even though it, it, there's some debate to be made about it, like that is a representation of where America was in the 20s and 30s. Now that we find some of those views kind of all of a sudden becoming shockingly favorable again um, in some corners, uh, it definitely makes it a little bit problematic for some of us. But, you know, we all agree that it's not, you know, this is about that literary impact that Lovecraft has had around the world. 
um, so that we have people come in from China. We have people come from South America, um, from, you know, Southern Europe, places that Lovecraft maybe, you know, personally would have, you know, people that Lovecraft personally would have had some objection to um, all have found something in Lovecraft storytelling. Um, and that's why we do Necronomicon. Um, you know, it also does uh, pose some problem because I, I personally feel, and I, and I think generally this is the thoughts of the organizers, is um, the future of Necronomicon, the future of weird fiction, the future of Lovecraftian fiction even, is one that ne necessarily requires opening the doors to people that aren't just the usual demographic, old white guys, you know. Uh, and as I kind of start to become an old white guy myself, um, I, I, I feel like the health of, of Lovecraftian fiction is one that needs to call upon people like Victor Lavalley or, um, you know, uh, Caitlin Kiernan or um, even authors, uh, Jinji Ito from Japan, you know, people who are going to bring new perspectives to weird fiction or Lovecraftian fiction. Um, and make it their own, maybe, you know, for, you know, and some people aren't going to like that, but honestly, like, I think that's the future to just compartmentalize Lovecraft and say, you can't, this is a sacred cow that you can't mess with the recipe. Um, and, and to do any kind of criticism is a condemnation of Lovecraft, I think is a mistake. Um, by the way, of course, that's partly what's gotten us into a little bit of trouble with corners, <laughs> but. Um, but it's something that I very strongly believe in and generally, you know, the convention organizers as well. But is it, is it possible to separate, you know, Lovecraft from his work and, and should we, I mean, you know, it's kind of like a talk show question. Cause obviously we can, we can enjoy, you know, Lovecraft's weird fiction and, you know, not right. be racist, but you know, I, I figure it begs the question. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you can, you, you absolutely can. I mean, you know, obviously I think a, a substantial percentage, I don't know what percentage of Lovecraft fans don't give a shit at all that he was a racist, you know, and just want to enjoy his fiction. Um, uh, and I think it's very possible to do. I mean, I think, obviously, if you read some of his stories, you kind of have to turn a blind eye that there is some of his xenophobia does pervade some stories, not all of them, but some of them, right. you know, and, and arguably, some people have made the argument, some of them are made stronger by his xenophobia. You know, I mean, that is kind of his fear. I mean, that's kind of his shtick is his fear of everything. Um, right. you, know, you know, fear of himself even. But, um, you know, personally, I, I'm kind of more interested in looking at the whole picture um, without glorifying those more odious aspects of his personal life. I'm kind of interested in all of it. Like, I, I will happily read At the Mountains of Madness and think it's one of the best weird sci-fi stories ever made. Um, but at the same time, I'll, I also will read um, Shadows of, you know, uh, Shadow Rinsmith and speculate like how much of this is his fear of immigration. You know, I mean, some people argue that it is. I don't, you know, I'm not going to make that thing. But, but I think there's value to doing to taking both approaches, and I don't think either approach is wrong or should be condemned by one side or another. If that makes sense. No, yeah, I think so. Um, is it is it giving him a pass to say that you know well he's he's a product of his time because clearly not everybody in the 1920s and 30s is racist but right. 
as you'd mentioned, it, it is kind of indicative of, you know, where we are as a nation at that time. I, there, there was a greater uh, sense of that, I guess, or however you want to put it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it is, it can be a pass. I think it, it depends on how it's used. Um, if you say, oh, we should never discuss Lovecraft's racism, it's not fair to have any kind of discussion about it because everybody was racist back then. That is, I think, a, a nonsense pass that is not justified. Um, I feel like we need to acknowledge that um, Lovecraft was a racist uh, and a xenophobe, and some of that influenced his writing, and, and he said terrible things um, that have no place at any point in history. But that being said, he, he lived in a time here in Providence, there was stuff in the Providence Journal talking about how triple-decker houses shouldn't be built or should be torn down because they were dens of, um, of you know, of uh, awfulness where immigrants were coming. I mean, I don't know about the rest of the country, but it's safe to say Providence was a very racist town. Uh, and that was generally accepted by most of the people. Does that mean that Lovecraft, um, that there weren't other people out there? So Lovecraft was really good friends, was a, a strong correspondent with this guy, James Morton, in New York City, who wrote some of the most incredible, eloquent, anti-racist um, philosophy in the 20s and 30s. And Lovecraft was a perfectly, was a very good friend with him. So my condemnation of Lovecraft, um, I, I give him the pass that he, in this one way, was an unfortunate, terrible product of his time. America in the 20s and 30s, in the teens, 20s and 30s, was generally a horribly, far worse than even we have today horribly racist country. And, you know, so much so that even racism wasn't even really a word. It was just such an ingrained part of the country. Um, my condemnation of Lovecraft is in so many other ways, he was smart and capable of thinking beyond the standard thoughts of the period. He was an atheist. He was a socialist in a time where those things were marginal. I mean, socialism was a little bit more popular, but atheism was, you know, something you could practically get stoned. And yet, and so in these ways, he was capable of thinking outside of his time, beyond his time. But in this one way, even though he was clearly a smart fellow, he was so horrendously stuck in his time period that I think that's actually the worst condemnation, you know, for his racism. Um, saying that he was a man of his time in that is not a pass. I think it's actually a worse condemnation, actually. But, it, of, of us as a, society, as a society as a whole, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and that's the cool thing about Necker. Like you said, you, you know, you guys are expressive of the diverse nature of fiction. Like, you know, this year you've got Nettie Okafor as a, as a special guest, uh, you know, Peter Shrub, Kids Johnson. I mean, it, it runs the gamut. Um, and and, and I, I know there was some, you know, pushback, I guess, when the, the first female anthology, weird fiction anthology came out a couple of years ago. And it's like, you think we're in a certain place and then something that seems as innocuous as that. And it's like, all of a sudden this, this huge explosion. And it's like, where like a good story is a good story. I don't care who wrote it, you know, like I, it, you know, I, wow me, you know, make me, uh, you know, consider my, you know, my humanity, my, my place in the universe. Like I, who cares who wrote the book? Yeah, I mean, exactly. And at the same time, though, I think that there is uh, a need for effort to be put into uh, encouraging those voices that we don't always hear, you know, like to have 
like um, like Oscar Rios' uh, collection that he did, The Heroes of Red Hook. Uh, even though you know a lot of the authors that actually contributed to it were, you know, there were some white males that contributed to it. To start expanding that discussion, to start expanding those contributions to the community um, in a concerted way, uh, I think is crucial. Really, I mean, beyond just good, I think it's necessary for the future survival of of the genre of the community. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it, it's funny, um, we, you know, it, it's sort of a, a huge balancing act to try to like, um, make sure that people feel like they can be a part of the community or whatever. Um, but then also put effort into trying to get in other new voices or whatever. Um, so like, like, for example, with our guests of honor, we really specifically try to choose so many different facets of people who may not immediately be obvious uh, weird fiction authors or academics or whatever, but that we thought at least contributed in some way to one facet or another. And so if you look at the whole, you kind of get a good sense of where weird fiction is. Um, and, and that is far more diverse than probably it has been in the past. And I think that's going to be the future of it too. Sure. And, and, and I think it's fair to say that, you know, weird fiction doesn't have to have, Lovecraftian monsters. It doesn't need to have, you know, uh, very ambiguous verbose language. Like, you know, we had Doug Wynn on and, and his um, Black January. I mean, it, it reads like a pulp, you know, so it's like a, you know, 50s pulp. Like, there's, you know, all these crazy things are going on. And, and it is, you know, specifically non Lovecraftian protagonists. It, it's, it, you know, just it sort of takes the normal tropes and sort of flips it on its head. And, and I think, you know, kudos for that, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think that that also allows for some continuation of, you know, maybe not necessarily pastiche, but carrying on some of the more clearly directly Lovecraftian tropes. Um, the only way those are going to work is if you also allow other uh, points of view, other contributions to the storytelling rather than just constantly tentacles, tentacles, tentacles. Right. Um, and, you know, a little bit of tentacles, like we all want some tentacles, right? Um, but, but if it's just always just that or always just a monster that's not fully described, like, eh, kind of you're going to get bored. You know, like the same thing for us, for the convention. We can't just keep doing the same Lovecraft panels. Like, let's throw in some other panels that then help bolster and make the other more traditional panels kind of stand out, not just be the same thing regurgitated and rehashed. Um, but yeah, and we were happy to be a part of that this year. We did, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. panels on, on gaming for podcasting and, and also, you know, technology involved in, in uh, gaming and podcasting and stuff. So, you know, a little bit of a divergence from the, the standard fare, I guess. Yeah, you know, but I, I want to mention though. You, I think, you, were you talking about the She Walks in Shadows anthology? Uh, I think that was the one. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one thing I'll say about that, and this is something that I've uh, really had to kind of come to grips with over the past six months or something like that, is I worry that too often we give too much power to those trolls that are out there. You know, like the there was a lot of really ridiculous, disgusting, absurd sexist um, nonsense that came out as a sort of a knee-jerk reaction to that anthology. Um, but from my experience, the vast majority, and I would say 95% plus 
um, of the weird fiction community that are out there, the fan base, not just the, the authors, but the fan base, are people who actually are hungering for those kind of new voices and those kind of contributions. Um, but it's the less than 5%, the, you know, one in a hundred maybe, um, trolls that are out there who are like, oh, I'm going to screw with this for, you know, whether just simply because they're trolling or because they actually are just complete bastards um, who want to <laughs> mess with it. Uh, or a little bit of both, obviously, um, who want to mess with it. And um, like, you know, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, who was one of the editors, got so much crap for it. And it's like, why would you not want those kind of stories to be told? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we've suffered a little bit from that. Like on our Facebook page, sometimes we've had like some trolls and, you know, whether they're just, like I said, straight trolling or because they actually are racist and they're really upset with us that we're trying to all of a sudden, oh my God, incorporate a couple new voices. Um, as soon as like we block one or two people, then all of a sudden the whole page is like beautiful and peaceful and everyone's super excited, you know, like, so I worry that we give too much power to those, that really small minority of people and get too excited and worry that the sky is falling simply because a few assholes try to stink it up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and they're normally more vocal, right? I mean, even like, you know, if you go out to dinner and you get bad service, you're more apt to complain than if you go and get good service. Cause I mean, that's what you, you expect to have decent service. So, you know, you wouldn't go to the manager and be like, Hey, I got great service tonight. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, those people that want to complain are, you know, generally going to stick out like the th- sort of thumb yeah. that they are. That's, that's exactly it. You know, and nobody, yeah, nobody pays attention to, so for example, um, I don't know, like a few months before the convention, the news came out that, um, Matt Ruff's book, Lovecraft Country, which is a great, interesting and and kind of probably important contribution to the genre, um, came out and, and the news came out that Jordan Peele was going to make it into a series for, I don't know, HBO or HBO, I think, yeah. Uh, and we all thought, oh my God, that's amazing. I mean, this was just after like, you know, the movie Get Out had been out and stuff like that. We're like, holy crap, Jordan Peele is going to make this into a movie. Like, how perfect is that? Or into a TV series. And so we shared it on our Facebook page and we ended up getting something like, I don't know, a thousand likes and loves and stuff like that. And literally three angry faces out of, <laughs> it, was either, it was like, last I counted, it was like six or 700 likes and loves. And however many other, you know, positive things and, and some wows. And then literally there were three angry faces and I could see, you know, you can, as the admin, you can see who those are. Those three people then like proceeded to like comment and kind of be assholes in the comment thread. So there's like 80 or 90 comments of people going, Oh my God, this is incredible. I'm so psyched for this. And then three assholes who were like, you know, fuck this like PC bullshit or whatever. And Sadly, other people saw those three jerks and were like, oh my God, the white supremacists are taking over the Necronomicon page. <laughs> and I like, I like heard this secondhand. I'm like, oh shit, what's going on? And I go over there and it's like, hey, it's just three guys. Like literally, it's just three jerks. Like yeah. instead of like looking at those three guys, pay attention to the thousand people who were psyched, you know? And that's kind of, that's been my experience in general with Necronomicon is you have the standout assholes but then you have so many other people who are psyched you know for new stuff to be happening Um, yeah 
we, and we see that too in the gaming community. I mean, by yeah. and large, I mean, at least everybody that we deal with, just you know, super cool, you know, really good community, right. you know, good conversation on Twitter, all that kind of stuff. You know, meet up with people at conventions, but there's there's always that one little bit that it's just like, wow, really? Like, you're giving us all a bad name. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, oh, just ignore them because at some point they, they need to get punched in the face. I mean, that's really what probably should happen to them at some point, but just ignore them. I mean, like, don't give them the victory that they want, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, I, I feel like all too often we give them far more power than they really deserve, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and we, we've been guilty of that to some extent, you know, without naming names. I mean, sometimes we've given far more platform to, stupidity than we'd ever wanted to, you know, but, um, but you know, my, my, you know, like, um, so, so again, without naming names recently, uh, somebody called, uh, out to have like a, an email campaign, um, to like sort of decry our perceived, um, um, efforts to undermine Lovecraft's legacy, which is, you know, such a absurdly absurd concept. Um, and, and, you know, people were told to email us and, and, you know, bombard us with hate mail basically. Uh, and I got like 30 or 40 emails out of them and only one of them was actually hate mail, um, <laughs> emails of people going, Oh my God, you guys are amazing. Please don't ever stop. Thank you so much. By the way, where can I send a check for a thousand dollars to support what you're doing? Uh, and the one hate mail was like a complete, like pro forma just kind of like automatic thing like where it was clear the person didn't even know what they were actually upset about like and yeah. had never been to the convention you know it's like that's what most of it is you know like proportionally the vast majority of lovecraft fans or or you know weird gamers just want to have a good time at at worst you know and in general like no you guys are doing good keep it up you know mm-hmm. So at this point for me, like people are like, Oh my God, are you so bummed out after the, no, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't care. Like too much good stuff, too many amazing people coming together, doing incredible things. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what counts, you know? But, yeah. Yeah. You're undermining the legacy by having a convention that right. is literally, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, legacy, but this is the third convention that is primarily built around Lovecraft. We've, uh, named a, a square after Lovecraft. Uh, we have a birthplace marker that didn't used to be there. We're working on a statue. Yeah. All these things that are like, just, you know, destroying Lovecraft's legacy. Uh, right. <laughs> but, but you took his face off the, the award now or not you, but you know. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that was the other thing. We didn't scream bloody murder that that was happening, you know? So. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's, you know, it's one of those things like, well, the, you know, it's named there, you know, it's, it's based on, you know, a genre that he created. So like, there's, you know, obviously there's, you know, feelings on both sides of that. It's like, you know, are you honoring, you know, him for his work? You know, is it representative, you know, the, the problematic nature of, of some of that work? So like, it is a very hot button issue. I mean, I. The thing is, that's exactly it. It's a hot button issue, but rather than say, okay, we can't talk about it at all. Like that just, where's that going to get you? That's not going to win, you know? Like say, all right, look, let me tell you my side, you know? But no, like some people are like, you can't talk about this at all. And and simply by even opening that door of discussion, you're on the wrong side. Like, no, sorry, I, you know, where does that get us in this world? You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
All right. Well, to, to talk, we'll kind of stay on this track a little bit. Um, <laughs> do you think that the way? Yeah. <laughs> do you think that the way that we read Lovecraft now has changed or should change? Uh, you know, i.e., uh, you know, as a modern reader. Um, you know, reading Lovecraft would be like, you know, to have us sort of confront, you know, either our own prejudices or, you know, social prejudices that are still, you know, sort of inherent in our society. I, I mean, I personally think that that's up to the individual reader. Um, I think that there's plenty to be said for just reading Lovecraft and simply enjoying them, you know. Um, you know, like even you read some interviews like with, uh, I already used his, him as an example, but Victor Lavalle, like he talked about when he first read Lovecraft when he was a young teenager, like, you know, some of the racism hit him, but for the most part, he was just enjoying what he thought was incredible novel storytelling. Uh, and I think you can totally do that. Um, yeah, exactly. So Victor Lavalle's Ballad of Black Tom. Um, <laughs> I think you can totally, I don't think there's anything wrong with strictly reading Lovecraft for great, unusual fiction. Um, but personally for me now, when I read him, you know, the rare time where I'm, you know, going to be like, okay, I'm going to read a Lovecraft story because there's, you know, the other thing is there's so much other new stuff I want to read. Mm -hmm. I barely have the time for, but now I read him differently. You know, I can't help but read him differently. I, I still am hugely inspired and moved by some of his stories, you know, some of his stories, you know, even when I first read them when I was a teenager, I'm like, oh, this is a, this is a terrible story. And this is a great story, you know, <laughs> that's not changed. But um, I, I don't, I think every time we read a, a story, you're going to, you know, again, you're going to read it in a different light as you get older and have different perspectives. And with Lovecraft, I think that's all the more important, but it's not, I don't think it's necessary, you know, but. Okay, that's fair. I, you know, I just figured it's worthwhile to ask those types of questions, considering the yeah. you know, nature of kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think it's definitely worthwhile to consider, but I don't, I don't, you know, I think the onus is on the individual reader for what they want to get out of it. You know, sure. We're, um, we're I, will say, I will say though that if you're reading Lovecraft for the second or third or fourth or fifth time, and you're not paying attention to that kind of stuff. <laughs> You're making two mistakes. Uh, one, you should be paying attention to that kind of stuff a little bit, but also you should be reading other authors too. I mean, there's so much amazing stuff out there. Like, you know, I already mentioned Jeff Vandermeer, but he's got a movie coming out in February based on you know his Area X trilogy, the first installment of that. That's an incredible read. That is, you know, having read it is every bit as impressive as when I first started reading Lovecraft, and it's now being made into a movie. Um, that's kind of awesome. Like literally that is going to be, you know, Lovecraft movies. You know, we, we still don't really have a good Lovecraft movie and, and I yeah. we might have an amazing weird movie coming out pretty soon. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But you you want to try one Vince? We, we, Vince has got a horrible uh, internet tonight. So he's, okay. he's been in and out. <laughs> <laughs> it's been pretty bad. Um, where are we at? Uh, is everything on our list up to date? Yes. All right. Um, all right. As far as uh, I've seen a lot of uh, blossoming of small press too, in regard to weird fiction and horror. Um, right. Anything to say in, in that regard? What do you think? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I'm kind of an old DIY punk rocker. So I, I'm a big fan of, of, you know, sort of decentralizing and, and making things. Um kind of closer to the grassroots, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, 
um, you know, legitimately, you know, the one critique of that is, of course, you have a lot more fiction to read through to get to good stuff necessarily. Um, and that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it just means that there's a lot, uh, a lot more stuff to choose from. Not all of it is amazing, but that's, I think, kind of always been the case to some extent. Uh, that's true. But I'm a huge fan of the small press, I, and, and I'm happy also that Necronomicon has played some role in engendering that a bit, too. You know? Oh, yeah, it's supporting it. Yeah. And in some sense, it, it's almost necessary for that small press because it, it is kind of a niche thing. Uh, you know, you're not going to find very many weird fiction, you know, novels or, or collections, anthologies on, on the, uh, you know, New York Times bestseller. So, you know, we, we, you know, as a community have to be a little bit more proactive and, you know, having that, that choice and, you know, to bring different people together and sort of have those options. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that, that also um, does allow, I think, gives more of an opportunity for great new voices to come along, you know, somewhere to work their way up through. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a, good, it's a good, uh, good stepping stone. Yeah. Yep. Yep. This one's sort of an oddball, but uh, because horror is, you know, sort of a part of Necronomicon, do you feel that, that horror as an art form kind of gets short shrift as not like real art? You know, it's not, you know, cinema. It's not, you know, uh, you know, this glorious novelization, whatever. It's just like, oh, that's horror, you know. Yeah, I mean, horror definitely, I think, often gets kind of written off, has gotten written off. I mean, I think that's the fault of horror more than anybody, though. You know, uh, thinking about it just cinematically, like, if you compare the at least the easily accessible horror in the 80s and 90s you know the various franchises like friday the 13th and stuff that i'm i'm personally uh, maybe I'm, people are going to hate me for this but i'm not a real big fan of uh whereas now you have uh movies like it follows and things like that that are like oh my god this is like art you know mm -hmm. um and and get out you know uh, things that are like uh beautiful and important you know, and that's not all, it hasn't always been the case with horror. I mean, I, I think a lot of it is, yeah, you know, it's like people writing off comic books, you know, like, oh, I don't like comic books. Like, what does that mean? Like, how, how, how can you say that about a genre that's so yeah. massive? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, are you talking about Superman or are you talking about, you know, Cerberus or something like that? Like, I, or Cerberus, I don't, I don't know what that, who are you talking about, you know? But, exactly, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 horror gets a lot of shit, and some of it's well deserved. I think a lot of it is just people being lazy, you know. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Uh, what do you think Lovecraft legacy is, and is is he still relevant today? Oh, he's. I think he's hugely relevant. Um, a lot of that relevancy, I don't think, is warranted simply because it's it's based in the pop culture meme uh, centric uh, presentation of Lovecraft uh, that has, has only sort of thin connection to Lovecraft actually, you know? Um, but regardless, he's still this powerhouse influence um, even if it's only in this sort of veneer like aspect. Um, but from a literary point of view, it's clear that he is still incredibly relevant um, even, even the sort of the negative, you know, or the controversial discussions that come out of him, I think sort of underscore his relevance, you know, or his importance, even if it's a, uh, uh, 
sort of a double-edged relevance, if that makes sense. Um, simply the fact that we talk about him so much, oh, yeah. um, I think makes him important. You know, and then that's also, again, one of the reasons why we don't really shy away kind of coming from an academic background. We don't shy away from talking about the racism stuff so much is that's an important discussion to be had for this country more and more so. Um, so if we can use Lovecraft as some way to talk about that um, and maybe face uh, our nation's history, I think that's a valid thing, an important thing to do. Um, but, but, you know, more strictly speaking, it's clear Lovecraft is still being read every day by people who are for the first time experiencing him uh, and experiencing his fiction and being moved by it. And we have people come into the store on a regular basis. who are like, Oh my God, I just read this story online or whatever. Like I want to read more, you know, um, you know, or even people who are like, Oh, I read Lovecraft when I was a teenager. I don't think I need to read it again, but what could I read? That's kind of like that, you know, like, yeah. So that's powerful. That's still a huge influence, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, I think, I think he's entirely relevant. Um, it's just, it's a more nuanced relevance than it probably was previously. Gotcha. Makes sense. So what do you think the future of Necronomicon holds? And, uh, and I guess maybe in a larger sense, uh, weird fiction in general. Um, so the future of Necronomicon, I think it probably is going to be somewhat akin to what you've seen over the past year or so. Um, there's definitely going to be a very strong you know, sort of core Lovecraft component, um, but sort of con still continuing on and sort of viewing the future of Lovecraftian weird fiction as one that can't be just about Lovecraft, um, you know, uh, 24-7. Um, so we're wanting to look at bringing in, again, more new diverging voices, uh, maybe in some cases a little bit critical voices. Um, and again, we sort of see that as kind of being a healthy thing for um, the, like, the legacy of Lovecraft. Uh, and kind of the same thing for weird fiction in general. Um, like you use the, the phrase that we also really like, the weird uh, renaissance. Uh, we really do see that happening, you know, like between the TV show Stranger Things, which is, you know, for anybody that's a fan of weird fiction, that's like, that's phenomenal. Yeah, it's red meat. Um, and, and, you know, with the Annihilation movie coming out this February, um, that is, you know, and, and just so many new books that are coming out. I mean, for some increasingly larger and larger publishing houses, some of their big fiction that's coming out is stuff that's weird fiction. Um, you know, you look at like NPR publishes or lists their like best books of the year or whatever. And invariably it's going to have a few weird fiction authors on it, like Paul Tremblay or, you know, uh, Kelly Link or whatever. Um, so the weird Renaissance is something that I think is only just really started, which is kind of exciting. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, and on the heels of that, what what do you think is left to discuss in regards to Lovecraft? Uh, God. I mean, so here's the problem is for somebody like S.T. Joshi, maybe there's not much left to discuss. You know, if you've spent your decades focused on, you know, thinking about nothing but Lovecraft, you know, or, or tangential issues, you're done. You know, basically, there's not much more to be said. Um, you know, there, hopefully there are some new things to be said, but for the most part, it's kind of already been done. But the difference is, like I said, every day people are reading Lovecraft for the first time. And for those people, those discussions that maybe 
some folks had already hashed out decades ago are still relevant and raw and important today for new people. Um, so there will never be an end to sort of the relevance of Lovecraft or the importance of talking about, you know, aspects of Lovecraftian fiction or Lovecraft's personal life or his beliefs in one way or another. Um, that's always going to be there. Um, I think the onus is on us as, um, you know, folks that have been in the community and whether it's gaming or whether it's literature or whether it's academia is to acknowledge that there are always new people coming to this. Um, and, you know, and people that have new things to say, you know, new outlooks, um, and to encourage those people as much as possible. So I think as long as there's, again, and there always will be, I mean, Lovecraft is never going to go away. There's this fear that Lovecraft is being swept under the rug. That's not going to happen ever. Um, uh, and, and as long as the, he's still out there, um, I think there's greater strength in those new voices coming along. Uh, some of those new voices aren't going to want to have anything to do with Lovecraft. That's fine. They can go and do other things, but there always are going to be people. Some of them are going to be critical. Some of them are going to, are going to be slavishly fanish, but, um, as long as all those voices can get heard, I think Lovecraft will stick around and grow probably. He's kind of like the Led Zeppelin of, of you know, <laughs> authors. Right? It's like as, as every new generation comes around, it's like they rediscover it. And it's like, yeah. oh, my God, have you ever yeah. seen? Like, yeah, back <laughs> in my day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I can tell you all about it. Like, no, you probably you can, but I want to hear what new people have to say about Lovecraft, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's what, like at, the, at Necronomicon, like you said, one of the core things we do is a academic symposium, the Armitage Symposium. Um, where we purposefully try to encourage people who are nascent academics or not even, you know, they're just independent, you know, scholars. They're just amateurs, essentially, who maybe have something novel to say because somewhere in there, maybe there's a lot of things that have already been said 20 times before or 100 times before. But somewhere in there, there's going to be new things that are going to make our appreciation of Lovecraft or weird fiction more profound, um, even if they're critical, you know. And I think that's a great thing. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Now, are you working on 2019 already? Or are you are you taking a break? Do you get like a week <laughs> off in between? Like, <laughs> well, so I mean, for none of us, none of uh, none of us do this for a living. None of us get paid for this, so uh, we kind of have to take a break. We're already thinking about things, you know. Like, we're probably, like I said, already pretty close to a date. Um, we're already kind of starting to line up, like who guests of honor could be for next year, because that helps to kind of sort of shape the overall theme a little bit. Um, and we're already talking about like, you know, staff and who's going to do what um, a little bit. Um, but it's, it's definitely for me, uh, I, I guess it's a sign that this year was a little bit more of a success uh, psychically than previous ones that, uh, that I wasn't as much afterwards going like, please don't mention anything to me that's re remotely related to this for like six months. Um, and, the, and the downside of that is then all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, we're a year out from the convention and we have like two years worth of stuff to do. So this year maybe we'll be like 
18 months out from the convention and have two years worth of stuff to do. Um, sure. Sure. Now, like everybody goes, they have a good time. It's, you know, it's a great convention. Do you get to enjoy it at all while it's <laughs> happening? Uh, I think my uh, concept of what enjoyment is, is more warped than some people. Um, I did much more this time. Um, I think some people actually saw me stand still for like more than three seconds, um, which is different from previous years. I, I get to, I do get to enjoy it, but it, it's in a weird, I don't, I don't want to overblow it too much, but it kind of, there's like a weird altruism to it. I'm like, I get enjoyment out of seeing other people really enjoy it. Um, and getting the feedback from people going, Oh my God, that was incredible. Thank you. Um, yeah, that being said, I mean, it is a substantial amount of work. And like I said, none of we're all a, we're amateurs, which is, you know, hopefully forgives us a little bit for some of the mistakes we make. Um, but, but, you know, we're doing this out of love, essentially, you know, we're doing this out of uh, an 11 appreciation for Lovecraft, 11 appreciation for Providence. Um, and for me more so at this point, a love and appreciation for the people that come to Necronomicon and kind of make it, you know, then join into the community and appreciate it. Um, so it's kind of my gift basically to you guys, essentially, you know, um, and, and that's really kind of why I do it. And, and so even though it's sleepless nights for like a month beforehand, like it's pretty bad. Uh, and there's definitely about a two week period where I'm like, like I'm, you know, laying awake in bed going, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> you know, and, and really like not coming up with answers. It's like, I, this is crazy. Why, why would you, why, would, why do I hate myself? Um, you know, all told it, it's, it's a really, um, gratifying endeavor you know so well well we're glad that you do it i mean everybody that comes it's, it's a wonderful time i mean you yeah. you guys put it's absolutely wonderful convention like i said it's it's intimate it's small you know you can you know just walk up to to you know cody goodfellow be hey cody I, I read this blah blah you know give him a hug whatever like everybody's really open and welcoming and it's just it's such a good time it's it, when that's you know we're, we're in a convention year that's i know what i'm doing in august you know okay. Good, good. I'm coming from Arizona, so it cost me a fortune. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's great. I mean, it's just I w I wouldn't miss it. You know, going going out from here, and I kick myself for not making it out to thirteen because that would have been you know it'd have been right in on the you know the leading edge, and you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well we'll make it up to you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have to thank you because I mean we we launched the podcast. Um, I guess the site went up in like maybe February, March. I think we did our first podcast in June and, and, you know, really when we came to Necronomicon in 2015, we, you know, sort of looked at it as an opportunity to really kind of like launch yeah. the podcast, you know, more of a, of a, it was sort of a soft open and then, you know, sort of a hard launch from Necronomicon. And I, it's a, we've been gangbusters ever since. And, you know, like, you know, we've had Cody on and, and Oscar on and Adam's been on and like, it, it's just been such a wonderful, like boost for us, not just for like, oh, well, we had this person on the podcast, but like, we're friends with all these people, we're friends on Facebook, you know, we exchange messages, you know, if stuff's going on, like, hey, give me a call, whatever, it's fine. If you want to yell at somebody, whatever, like, it, it's just been a really, it, it's, it's been such a wonderful experience coming in and then, you know, moving forward to just really, you know, to be a part of the community. It's, it's really yeah. cool. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, I and again, that's kind of the thing that makes it really gratifying for us is to see so many people kind of make it their own, you know, and, and feel home here, which is really good. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah we were we were more than happy to be uh, a part of 2017, and and, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, you know do something in 2019 too. Yeah, yeah. Let's get you in for 2019 for sure. Um, you know, especially <laughs> getting wrestling with my cat here. Um, <laughs> you know, especially since we won't be conflicting with uh, Gen Con, I think you know we're going to see. Uh, I think a pretty sizable growth in what we're going to be doing with the gaming for 2019. We're already talking a little bit about that. Um, and, and by the way, as, as far as 2013, we do have a couple 2013 t-shirts around. So if you want to pretend like you were here, oh. but I hook you up with this one. <laughs> tell people, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah. It, it, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. I mean, it, it's one of my favorites. So Good. Thank you. Thank cool. You. Well, we, we appreciate you have uh, you know having you come on and, and getting a chance to talk with you. Every time we ran into you at Necro, you're like, ah, "Hey, yeah. I gotta, I'm going." Like, oh, all right, well, we'll yeah. talk to you later. <laughs> so actually, the, the longest I got to be any single place was I jumped in on uh, the charity game that was going on in the gaming room where we could basically you just like nuke the other tables and stuff like that. And I, I unfortunately I had. Literally just gotten a payout from the registration cash box, so I was walking around with more money than I really probably should have been trusted with to walk into that scenario, and I think I like dropped like fifty dollars to wipe out the other two tables for charity. <laughs> just like whatever it takes. Here's fifty dollars. Just do the absolute worst thing you can possibly do to those other tables. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Well, it's for a good cause. It's for it was for the Extra Life charity. They're, uh, you know, for children's charities for children's hospitals and stuff. And and a lot of the podcasts and stuff do it. We we did it one year. It's so many things going on. It's just really hard to keep up and coordinate with all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's definitely an awesome charity. Yeah, it was great. It was neat. Yeah, thank you guys for doing that too. Yeah, are, are they going to be back for twenty nineteen? Have you have you? thought that far ahead as far as uh, extra life participation? I think so. I mean, that was, that was totally, um, that was something that uh, Jess uh, Saniak and Rob Zanini and, you know, uh, the folks that were organizing it, you know, um, you know, the gaming stuff, but then also who did the extra life thing, that was kind of their own thing. So okay. I found out about it after the fact and, and Jess Saniak was like, Oh my God, you should go jump in on this thing. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I sat down, I like literally, I was like sitting in one chair for 15 minutes. It was glorious. It was incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get I didn't get to do it. Uh, I we I didn't do any gaming at all. Um, oh no! <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you never. It, it's such an investment in time when you're there. You know, you're looking at a four hour plus time yeah. slot. I mean, we wandered far and wide. I recorded a bunch of. I've been releasing panels slowly. Oh great! Uh, yeah, to try to fill some some gaps in the schedule, um, yeah. and and all the ones that I wanted to go to and missed. Um, uh, Ash went. Uh, God. Ash Darrow, uh, who was on one of the panels with us, he went to all the ones that I missed. I said, shit, I should have gave you a recorder. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's one of the things that we, it's always like a bridge too far for us. We keep hoping to like set up video recorders or whatever to record. But I mean, again, there's at any given time, there's four panels, a, 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 another set of author readings, um, at least one other presentation plus the academic talks. I mean, so there's, there's at any time, there's six or eight things that we could be filming. It's just like, you know, how do we choose? So yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've kind of just been like, ah, well, if somebody else films it, hopefully we'll just do <laughs> their YouTube link or something, you know, but you know. I'll have to throw links up on the, on the Facebook page. I, it didn't yeah. even occur to me. <laughs> no, please do, please do. We'll, we'll help share it too. Cause I know people would love to see that stuff. We still haven't even gotten like photographs. Actually, the, 
I'm sort of embarrassed to say our website is still set up for day one of the convention. So we need to kind of yeah. that stuff. But yeah, well, Todd, Todd does an awesome job. And I know there's another guy there too, but the, the Todd Jacone was yep. everywhere uh, every day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. yeah, he's great. Yeah. All right. Well, again, uh, we, we appreciate you coming on. It was a, a pleasure to talk to you. The first time we've had you on, maybe next year we can get you going, or not next year, but 2019, we can get you coming into the con. Yeah. Well, you know, there is next year. Uh, we're, you know, we started this last August in 2016, but we're, because we're good friends with the film festival folks, the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, in interim years to kind of have something on the calendar, we do uh, Lovecraft Film Festival here in Providence now. Right, right. So next August we'll be doing that, but it's, it's a good bit more low key than Necronomicon. So sure, lot, sure. <laughs> a lot more low key. Anything is low, more low key than Necronomicon. Yeah, <laughs> for us at least for us. But right, right. Well, cool. Yeah, maybe we could have you come on and talk about that. We'll grab, uh, you know, grab some of the other folks too. Maybe we can do a big uh, conglomerate show on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It'd be great. Yeah, I'd be happy to be, be back on. Cool. That'd great. be awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right, cool. Thank you, sir. And thanks everybody for checking it out. We uh, we hope you enjoy it. And uh, if you haven't made it out to a Necronomicon 2019, start saving your money. You know when it's coming, yeah. probably the last weekend in August. We hope to see you there. It'll be a great time. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah, definitely. Right on. Thank you, guys. Yep. No, thank you. Uh, we will uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, take care. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.